Chapter Eleven of There's Laughter in the Air Radio's Top Comedians and Their Best Shows. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Ellie Cat. There's Laughter in the Air Radio's Top Comedians and Their Best Shows by Jack Gaver and Dave Stanley Gaver. Chapter Eleven Fanny Bryce, The Brat. Peck's bad kids ever have been the stuff of comedy. Whether they bat others around or get batted around themselves, it's a laugh. They're the type you'd murder within the hour if you had to live with them, but when they happen to someone else, especially in make-believe, it's funny. Baby Snooks is radio's prime contribution to the long line of brats that passes beyond Ken down through the years of show business and literature. How effective Snooks would be in the hands of anyone other than Fanny Bryce can lead only to one of those futile arguments that begins nowhere and proceeds furiously to the same locality, but the chances are strong that anyone you asked for a snap judgment would reply that the kid couldn't possibly be so funny if someone other than this great lady of the stage took over the job of intoning that drooling, coy, insinuating, half-insulting, "'Daddy!' For Miss Bryce is Baby Snooks. They form one of the most inseparable combinations of character and player in any branch of modern show business. It is proper to refer to Miss Bryce as a great lady of the stage because, despite the fact that she has been in radio almost exclusively since 1938, she will always be remembered best for her work behind the footlights. Great comedians are rare, and she touched the heights in the legitimate theater for more than two decades. Other fine performers have gone into the films or radio, and in a few brief years it is almost impossible to remember them as ever having meant anything to the stage. But Miss Bryce is different. People on Broadway can still see her, even on cloudy days. The chief reason for this difference is that much of Miss Bryce's entertainment magic is visual. She possesses the art of making people laugh on sight. A grin, an eyebrow lift, an arm gesture, a walk. All these and other things can bring gales of laughter for Miss Bryce. She is a skilled pantomimist, considerably more than a voice for those who have seen her. As a matter of fact, Snooks herself comes from the stage, and can lay claim to the legitimate birth that some of the people whose path she crosses Sunday nights on the Columbia Broadcasting Systems Network feel disinclined to attribute to her. Miss Bryce always has been a fine mimic, either for profit or for fun. Once, at an after-the-show party, she did an impromptu characterization of a small child she called Babykins. It stuck in her mind, and in the minds of those who saw it, with the result that playwright Moss Hart wrote a skit for her, in which she appeared as Baby Snooks in a Follies Review. A couple of years later, when Miss Bryce appeared as a guest star on the Good News radio show in 1938, the late Dave Friedman, a great writer of radio material, dusted off Baby Snooks and prepared a special script for her. The appearance was so successful that Miss Bryce and Snooks moved in on the program, went from there to Maxwell House coffee time for five seasons, and then went on their own with undiminished malice. Actually, Snooks is not anything particularly different in the way of fictional brats. She is precocious, but most of them are. She is willful, revengeful, prying, dissembling, and just generally hell on a tricycle headed for an open manhole. So the explanation for her popularity must invariably come back to Miss Bryce, whose career has been the sort that makes fiction turn green with envy. Borach was a family name. 
Fanny was born on New York's Lower East Side near Delancey Street. Her father, an Alsatian Jew, operated several saloons. The family moved to Newark, New Jersey, when Fanny was very young, and then trekked to Brooklyn when she was twelve. She evinced the first signs of showmanship when she used to gather a bunch of kids and sing in neighborhood backyards for any small coins that might fall their way. One night she went to Keeney's Theatre in Brooklyn. It was amateur night, and Fanny got up on the stage and sang, When You Know You're Not Forgotten by the Girl You Can't Forget, winning the first-place prize of five dollars, probably in recognition of her ability to sing through the title line without running out of breath. After that she was a confirmed amateur night bug. The theatre bee was firmly planted in her bonnet. School was finished. The next stop was a stereopticon parlor in East 83rd Street, Manhattan, where twenty times a day she sang the illustrated song shown on the screen and at other moments worked as ticket-seller, cashier, and pianist. She toiled from 11 a.m. to 11 p.m. for eight dollars weekly. Fanny had her eye on Broadway even then. When the opportunity presented itself, she walked blithely into an audition for a review being put out by the great producing firm of George M. Cohan and Sam H. Harris, and said she was just what they needed in the way of a chorus singer and dancer. She didn't last long. She had neglected to learn how to dance. After that she went to work for Rachel Lewis, who had a vaudeville act that played one-night stands in Pennsylvania. Next came a job with a Hurtig and Seaman burlesque troupe. She started as a singer, picked up some dancing, and wound up as the company sobrette. By 1910 she was singing dialect songs, written by a fellow named Irving Berlin, as one of Spiegel's college girls in the famous old Columbia Burlesque Theatre in Manhattan. In those days fine new talent was frequently to be seen at the Columbia. Legitimate producers like Florin Siegfeld, Jr., Charles Dillingham, Sam Harris, and others scarcely ever missed a new Columbia show, and so it was that Siegfeld came to see Fanny Bryce. She was seventeen. He hired her for the even-then-fabled Follies. She changed her name to Bryce, which was the handle of a neighbor. Siegfeld signed Fanny to a seventy-dollar-a-week contract for the 1910 edition of the Follies, and she made good instantly. She also was in the 1911 edition. In the next few years she played in other musicals and vaudeville here and abroad, and was back with Siegfeld again in the 1916 Follies. She was in the subsequent editions of 1917, 1920, 1921, and 1923. These were the days of great musical comedy personalities, and most of them worked in the Follies. Will Rogers, Eddie Cantor, Burt Williams, The Dooleys, W.C. Fields. This was the fastest theater company it was possible to keep, but young Fanny had no difficulty maintaining the pace. In fact, there were many times when she said it. In 1924 Miss Bryce starred in the Music Box Review, working for the man who had once fired her, Sam H. Harris. Producer David Belasco, who had made a great dramatic actor out of a burlesque comic, David Warfield, thought he saw possibilities of duplicating this feat with one of the distaff set, and in 1925 he and the actress signed a contract. Although many said it would ruin her comedy career, she had her nose bobbed to improve her looks, and in 1926 appeared for Belasco in a play called Funny. It was only a moderate success. She went back to the musicals where she could mimic and mug to her heart's content. Subsequently she made several Hollywood films, but for some reason she and the movies never quite hit it off. She kept coming back to the stage until the radio bug bit her. 
Miss Bryce has been married and divorced three times, and has a son and daughter by her second husband, Julius Wilford Arnstein, better known as Nicky Arnstein. Her third husband was the now-famous producer Billy Rose, whom she married in 1929 when he was simply a successful songwriter. They were divorced in 1938. Concerned chiefly with her radio work, the actress leads a quiet existence in her Hollywood home. Not even Baby Snooks bothers her very much, for she is the one person who can keep that female Katzenjammer under control. End of chapter 11, Fanny Bryce